We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening.
And uh, just last week was such a powerful week of worship. Uh, just so you guys know, this is not to toot anybody's horn except God's and what he's done just to bring people here. Is last week was our biggest Sunday since launch. And so just really excited about that, that people are coming. So yeah, we talked about that. And especially just poignant for the, the series, that people came and crowded the table. We came to this table, we experienced God in communion, and we're going to do that week after week after week here at Branches every week, come to this table. And uh, this week we looked at this story where, where this woman comes to Jesus and she cries at his feet and she wipes his feet with her tears and pours this expensive perfume out of this expensive jar onto his feet. And this is kind of scandalous thing to the religious people around. Last week, remember, Jesus was encountered by the Pharisees and then now at this story he's eating with them and they just over and over, just don't like how he handled these sorts of situations. When he encounters somebody, as the New Testament says over and over again, a sinner, a deviant person, somebody off the beaten track, somebody that you wouldn't normally see at a dinner like this, is there. And so, in the story, the implicit in coming to the table, last week we talked about how it's an invitation, not a threat, that Jesus only eats with sinners, there's some exclusivity and deep inclusivity that, okay, if Jesus only eats with sinners, what does that mean? It means you're invited to come, and there's a seat for you, and by coming, there's this admission, like, I'm broken, I need something, I'm longing for something. The foundation of this week is that for, for something to, to, to someone to come to the table, there's some forgiveness or reconciliation that needs to happen in Jesus' mind. Uh, that this woman has come, and he just grants her forgiveness. And it's a touchy subject for, for all people in all cultures, this forgiveness thing. There's been so many books, Christian and non-Christian, secular and holy or spiritual books and writings and teachings about what it means to forgive. And more often than not, in any sort of counseling situation that I've been in before, if someone comes to me, that comes up so often. But I can't forgive this person. I don't know how to forgive this person. This person has done this horrible thing to me, and I don't know how to forgive. And often, you know, my only response is, I don't know how you can either, but maybe, there, maybe there's a way you can start making your way to forgiveness. And I don't want to pretend to understand the situation. Forgiveness is central to who we are as people, because inevitably we hurt one another. Uh, Chevy Chase's character in Community, Pierce Hawthorne, uh, he has a really rough relationship with his dad. And he says, my dad always told me not to hold grudges. And I'll always hate him for that. You know, he <laughs> hadn't figured out how to forgive his dad. His dad was this horrible, horrible, awful person. I remember when I was at Emory, one of my favorite authors came to speak, Marilyn Robinson. She wrote this book called Gilead. And there's a few books in this series. They're kind of sequential, but they just give a you know different facet look at this really complicated, a little bit ugly, but also a little bit beautiful family. And the latest would have just come out, Lila. She was speaking about this book. And I went to go see her speak, and one of my seminary professors was there, found out that he was a big fan. And he was like, oh, I didn't know you liked these. I brought my copy of Gilead. She was going to sign it. And he had his copy of Lila, the newest one. And she, she was going to sign it, and we were talking. And I was telling him how much the book had meant to me, and there's like a pastor in it, so it was kind of formative for me. And he said, what do you think these books are about? And I was like, oh, these families are broken, blah, blah, blah. And this professor, Ted Smith, I, I asked him, well, what do you think they're about? I mean, like, we're all looking at them from a different perspective. And he said, they're about how a child can for forgive a parent when the parent inevitably fails them. I'm like, wow, it's way deeper than I got to, you know. Uh, and it, it really is. Those books are about forgiveness. And that just goes to show that, like, forgiveness, what it means to forgive another person, is so deep in our bones about, you know, who we are. How do we have a relationship with someone? And when we come to the table, there are some Christian traditions that say, unless you repent, unless you ask for forgiveness, you cannot come. 
And we don't practice that here. We practice an open table because we believe at this table, as we saw in the story today, reconciliation happens in it and at it and around it. How do we forgive another person? What does it mean to forgive another person, especially if they deeply, deeply harmed you and wronged you? There's a woman, uh, Corey Tinbu. Many of you may be familiar with her. I wrote the book Hiding Place. Uh, she and her family uh, helped harbor some Jewish families that they knew during the Holocaust, and uh, they were found, they were caught. So she and her family, though they were not Jewish, uh, they were complicit in this hiding of these people, protecting these people, and they were taken to a concentration camp, Ravensbrück. And in that camp, um, Corey Timboom survived, but some of her family passed away uh, in the camp, one of which was her sister. Years down the road, Corey Timboom kind of gathered this fame as this writer and public speaker, and she was speaking in Germany one time, and she finished speaking, and a man came up, uh, and she recognized him. It was in Germany, and she recognized him. He was one of the guards in Ravensbrück, where she and her family had stayed. And one of the guards that tortured and hurt her and her family, her sister in particular. And the man came up to her, not recognizing her, but her recognizing him. And something in her speech resonated with him. And he's like, I love what you said about this or that. And he reached out his hand for her to shake it. And they touched hands, and she said she could feel this burning inside of her. And the question, could, could I forgive this man? And all the images of what he had done to her and to her family just started to flash before mine. Can I forgive him? And she felt maybe a voice or an impression. No. I can't forgive him. And then she remembered Jesus and she thought, but he can. She punted the problem to Jesus. She let Jesus absorb the forgiveness. She knew full well, maybe beyond anything we'll ever experience, the deepest, darkest place you could be in relationship with a person, and she said, no, I can't forgive him, but he can. Well, that's one way, and I think it's actually the most helpful way we can think about forgiving someone who has deeply hurt us or wronged us, is to say, no, not in and of myself can I forgive another person, but Jesus can. Jesus can forgive. Jesus can absorb the forgiveness, the penalty, if we want to say it that way, the hurt, whatever comes with a, a place that needs to be reconciled, Jesus can take it. In fact, he willfully did so, Christians want to say, on the cross. He willfully absorbed what should have happened. Maybe you can't forgive, like Roy Tinbun, but he can. I know that doesn't solve everything, and I know it's an extreme example, but we get this story this week, then, of, of Jesus forgiving this woman, and again, we don't know anything about her, except that she has a reputation. <laughs> We don't know anything about her except for some reason she has this expensive alabaster jar full of perfume. We don't know anything about her except that she's a sinner. She's been classified this way. We don't know anything about her except maybe she has some emotion because she feels shame about something. We don't know anything about her except that she found out about Jesus, that he was at this Pharisee's house, and it was her chance, her opportunity to encounter him. We don't know that much about her. But of what we do know, what we can map ourselves onto, what we can connect to, we know that this is a model for us of how we approach Jesus. It's scandalous. When I think about even now, this kind of division we have between men and women and how we treat one another. We want to learn how to treat one another better, especially men, the way they treat women. And here in this experience that Jesus has, this woman comes to him and just flings herself at his feet and cries and wipes his feet with her hair and her tears and pours oil on this sign of anointing, this 
giving of this gift, and her sins are forgiven. Maybe more than us figuring out how we can forgive another person, maybe this story teaches us also about how we can forgive ourselves, or how we can be forgiven, or how we can approach God knowing what we know about ourselves, knowing our own past, knowing our own choices, knowing the ways that we've hurt other people and not reconciled with them, knowing the ways that, that we come into this space on Sunday morning and we bring in it uh, our cynicism, or maybe even our hatred, or our prejudices, or these things that we carry around with us all the time, and, and then we dare to come to the table, and we feel this shame. We think about our past, we think it defines us, and so we come to this table, and we're like, I'm, I'm taking this, but I, but I know I'm not totally right with you. And Jesus says to this woman, and I say to you as we hear this text today, in your ear, your sins are forgiven. In your approaching in your open-handedness, in your attention to, in your love, in your pouring out, in your giving of yourself to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. So how, how can we forgive another person? How can we be forgiven passively, either by another or by Jesus? And then how can we come to the table? Jesus, for Corey Tinboom, for us, for this woman, for the Pharisee, who at first is nameless and then all of a sudden has a name, are forgiven. You have judged correctly. He figures it out. He understands. Jesus absorbs what should happen because of this transgression. Whatever they are, we don't know them from this woman. We know the Pharisees' problems. We don't know this woman's. Jesus absorbs the forgiveness. This extravagant gift is given. Jesus pours himself out. There's this fancy word we use for it in theology, kenosis. Jesus, full of who he is, pours himself out freely for all people. He, he actually takes on the role this woman does in this alabaster jar. He breaks open this most precious, precious, expensive thing, and he pours it out for all people. Jesus absorbs the forgiveness. Uh, my very first ministry job, I'll say, uh, I was a prison chaplain. I've told some of you guys about this. At Lee Arendale State Prison uh, in Alto, Georgia, and at this prison, in this prison, uh, there was a woman named Kelly Gissendaner. I think we have a picture here. Um, she uh, was, the, at the time, uh, the only woman in Georgia on death row. Uh, she's wearing a cap and gown and celebrating and looking so happy uh, because she got a theology certificate while she was in prison from the seminary that I attended. And during that time that she got the certificate, she struck up a correspondence friendship with a guy named Jürgen Moltmann. I think we have a picture of them together. Yeah, Jürgen Moltmann. I mean, this, this picture, if you're a huge dweeb like I am, uh, is amazing. <laughs> because this huge German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, he came to her graduation, traveled from really far away to see her and meet her, this person he corresponded with, and she got her graduation. This was a gift to her, his presence. I got to know Kelly a little bit. She was actually in somewhat solitary confinement. She wasn't in the general population with everyone else because she was on death row. Uh, she was a happy person. The main chaplain at the prison, she talks about prison religion. You know, if somebody goes to prison, they suddenly find Jesus, and they're really good all of a sudden. Uh, it's insincere, maybe, uh, by all accounts, and I testify on my behalf that Kelly didn't find prison religion. She found Jesus. Her life was transformed. And though she had done this horrible thing, and there's no need to go into the details, if you're genuinely curious, you can look up her story. There's a lot of stories about her on the internet. Uh, her life was transformed. 
Her victim's family forgave her and visited her in prison. Uh, my peers and my colleagues, we would like fight over who got to go see Kelly on Mondays. We would go up there. I mean, you saw from the pictures, joyous, uh, love-filled, compassionate, kind, uh, remembered our names, remembered things about us, loved to tell stories, loved to play games, loved to read the scriptures, loved to pray, wanted to give what life she had left in the prison for others in talking about and sharing the love of Jesus. I learned more, not just in my time as a prison chaplain, but more in my conversations and connections with Kelly than I ever did in any of my sit-down lecture classrooms. Because face-to-face, -face, I met a person who truly understood what it meant to be forgiven, whose life was absorbed and taken up in the very life of God, who saw Jesus face-to-face -face and knew that the worst thing she had ever done isn't who she is. And who she truly is is precious. Who she truly is is beloved. Who she truly is is a person born in and made in the image of God. She's a better pastor than I am. <laughs> kind and just a wonderful person. I think about her all the time. And as it happens, um, you know, her, her execution will be scheduled and then rescheduled for another day. It's kind of the system is broken. And we would go stand out and pray uh, so that it wouldn't happen and we'd send letters and then it would be stayed for some reason, or be paused, or be, the can would be kicked down the road a little bit. And then eventually, uh, Kelly uh, did face the death penalty. And I, the thing I cannot process in this story is that her victim's family was there, had forgiven her. Her own children and family were there, had forgiven her. The population of the prison had developed deep relationships with her. A prison guard at Leerndale became a Christian because of Kelly. And as she died, she sang Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. To have the faith of Kelly Gissendater, who knew like this woman, as she poured out this perfume and cried these tears at Jesus' feet, how amazing grace and forgiveness can be and should be. Knew it better than all ever know it in many ways. Because she knew that anything she'd ever done, from her crime way back in the late 80s, early 90s, all the way up until 2015, had been absorbed. 2,000 years ago. Wasn't counted against her. Didn't define who she was. But what defined who she was was this man who said, your sins are forgiven. That is truly amazing grace. And to say, you know, if she wanted to say this of herself, a wretch like me, somebody that did this horrible thing, amazing that a God would not only say, you're forgiven from afar, but draw close to me and invite me to this table. What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we opened ourselves and said, amazing grace, broke all of our alabaster jars, poured out every gift we had, cried every tear we had at Jesus' feet, and just accepted and welcomed his forgiveness, accepted the truth, the reality, that your sins are absorbed even now, past, present, and future, forever, and join hands with Kelly and confess to the world how amazing this God is. And that we can say, not for Branch's sake or for my sake or the team's sake or for your sake, that every week here in this place, this table is hosted by that same person, Jesus the Christ. And there's a seat just for you. 
And it's not, okay, here's what you have to do to get forgiven. You gotta say sorry, feel really bad about it. <laughs> you gotta drop all your grudges, you gotta lift, list them out, you gotta reconcile with your spouse, you have to forgive them, you have to figure, if there's some that you have forgotten, you gotta remember them and then figure them out before you come to the table. No, come to the table. Jesus is waiting. He's longing, his arms are open wide, he's drawing you to himself, he's saying, come. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. I hope that if you feel some measure of shame for whatever it is, and I don't need to know, that you can with Corey Tinboom, with Kelly Gissendanner, as we look forward to tomorrow with Martin Luther King, believe truly that even if in your own power you cannot forgive, and even of your own power you can't forgive yourself, and even if you can't imagine being forgiven and you say, like, I, I can't come to Jesus, that you would believe that maybe you can't, but he can. Maybe the state of Georgia couldn't for Kelly, but Jesus could. Maybe, maybe um, Corey Ten Boom couldn't for that Nazi um, prison guard, but Jesus could for his sisters, for her sister's sake. Maybe for not Martin Luther King in and of himself could forgive what was done to him and to his people during the civil rights movement, but Jesus could. We, we can begin there. And we can come to this table and confess with our just coming, with our hands open, that it's true, that it's worth it, that it's real, that your sins are forgiven. I think that would do a lot of good. I think it would transform you individually and your families and your neighborhoods and the city and the whole world to experience and embrace and share God's grace that is so amazing, that saves each and every one of us. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are overwhelmed by your grace for us, by your invitation to us, by the table that you set before us, by the lives of the saints before us, in Corey and in Kelly and in Martin. We ask that you would just fill us with that grace, that you would give us the heart posture of this woman to just collapse at your feet and give everything we have to you so we can be embraced by you. Help us hear, even if we don't believe it now, help us just hear it and believe it a small bit. That you love us, that you're with us, and that you've forgiven us and will forgive us every step of the way. Especially as we come to this table, give us open hands to receive this grace that transforms all people. We pray all this in your Son.